Hi, this is Richard Smith, and this is All Strings Considered. Hey everyone, and welcome back to All Strings Considered. Today we're taking a little break from the nylon guitar to speak with jazz and contemporary guitarist Richard Smith. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories, and by Audible.com. To get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audibletrial.com slash allstrings. There are over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. When I met Richard Smith, he was the department chair of the Studio Jazz Guitar Department at USC. And along with USC's fairly new popular music program, Smith has since refocused his teaching duties at the school to focus on more contemporary and popular music. We'll reap the benefits of that popular music focus here today as he'll give us some great songwriting advice. His forte is in smooth jazz and fusion and explores a great variety of styles on his many recordings. You'll also hear him discuss the bad rap given to smooth jazz, along with some incredibly poignant suggestions for those of us determined to pursue or continue pursuing a career in music. Can I get a little history lesson on smooth jazz too? Actually, yes, because it, it sort of corresponds with me moving to Los Angeles. The same time that I came to Los Angeles, they had a station that played instrumentals. Back in those days, it was George Benson and Najee and um, Grover Washington. And they played funky instrumental music. When was this? This was the 80s, huh. mid-80s early to mid 80s. Uh-huh. And um, I moved from Eugene, Oregon, where, you know, this was back in the day of radio, where you didn't have a lot of input <laughs> as far as different styles. So I was really into jazz and classical. And I studied both of those. But I came to Los Angeles, and there was this type of music that integrated a lot of rhythm and blues elements, really great beats. It sort of had great, great beats and harmonic calories. I still remember the day that I was stopped at a stop sign coming to audition here at USC. And somebody rolled up in this total pimp mobile, just total low rider, right? And the music was. And I had, it was like, it, I didn't know what hit me. It was incredible. And I just felt, oh, what are those? What is, what is, why am I all of a sudden feeling so groovy? You yeah. know? And so it was really, you know, to be 20 something and be introduced to something that's ubiquitous in our in our environment down here in Los yeah. Angeles, right? Yeah. And um, I fell in love with that. So I found these stations that would play instrumental music that had some kind of R&B related to it. And if you listen to Stevie Wonder's music, you hear kind of a sophisticated, nuanced, harmonic uh, sensibility that would come out of a jazz musician, but he's a pop guy. And it was the same sort of thing if you take instrumental music. There were harmonic, like I call them harmonic calories. There were like altered chords and, and uh-huh. bridges actually went to mo- modulated to bridges and things like that. So for a, somebody who was used to listening to some kind of formal organization, it was interesting. But there was this beat that was attached to it as well. Okay? Uh-huh. Now, at that time, I was here at SC and I was studying, and I fell in love with that type of, it was called fusion at that time. It was just sort of a, a revelation to, to discover those two. And I was so excited about it that I would go out at night after, you know, stu- while I was here as a student. And I found four or five bands that I loved. And I would just sort of stalk those bands. Started to get to know the guitar players. And then I would just take my Radio Shack cassette recorder to the gigs and record this awful sort of 
distorted, you know, sound. And then yeah. I would transcribe that. So I got to know their books. Oh. And what I and I guess so which bands? That would be Richard Elliott, who's now let's he's a huge name in smooth jazz, and yeah. uh, he was the tenor player for Tower of Power. So uh, and Kitty Hawk, great bands like that. And then Max Bennett, who was in the LA Express, who had Robin Ford playing in his band, and he played with Jody Mitchell and so forth. Sam Riney, a great saxophone player. Dan Siegel, another great keyboard player. All of whom are still in the business and stuff. So I guess at an early stage, that was sort of what you would consider networking, because that's what I tell my students to do. I go, I just say, go out, find the, the four or five bands that you want to be in, and chances are their guitar players will get a better gig or a bigger gig. But if you don't know them and if they don't know your skills and know that you're enthusiastic and that you want to. This is your thing. That you this love is your this thing. Music. Exactly. Yeah. Mow their lawns, you know, take <laughs> lessons from them. Yeah. And um, it was such an organic way. It was out of just sort of an enthusiasm and my, just my own resources were pulled together. And it was neat. And then. So did you end up playing with some of these guys? Yeah, I was with Richard. I did six number ones on Blue Note with Richard. Uh, records CDs uh, on Blue Note. Actually, it was Blue Note New Note Records. So it was uh, the kind of the hip division of of Blue Note. That? And the thing that's neat about Richard was he was out of Tower of Power, which was this awesome ten piece funk fest. And with a five piece band, the guitar became really much more important. We I played a lot of melodies and I played a lot of solos and I played a lot of funk R and B and and so that lasted for ten years. And so that was an awesome gig. Yeah. And um, and so. But smooth jazz came along um, when that music started really showing up in offices. The stations like the Wave, there were about sixty Wave type stations, new smooth jazz stations in the country. Mm. And what happened was it became this awesome music to drive to work and listen to, and also to have on while you're at work. So it was smooth, yeah. meaning it wasn't invasive, yeah, like right, having yeah. Miles Davis or John Coltrane blazing and stuff Grabbing like that. your attention. Exactly. And it also yeah. didn't grab your attention too much because it didn't have vocals, which are also sort of another, another level of that. Uh -huh. So for about 15 or 20 years, it was an incredible niche that one could, I did 12, this is my 13th CD and I'll still get, probably get some airplay in, in the smooth jazz market. But honestly, from a standpoint of a guitar player or from a musician, it, it involved improvisation, it involved um, composition. I, I would have never been able to do the, the amount of composing I did if it wasn't in smooth jazz. It also embraced a lot of different things. There, there was um, Nouveau Flamenco, the uh, chap named Otmar Liebert came along and he had sort of had this kind of sexy Roomba thing that he did. But when it got down to it, he was actually a pretty good flamenco player. So it embraced, for me, I've, I've always been kind of a style straddler. Um, it, it like the new album, right? Like this tango influence. Exactly, thing. which yeah. is a completely different direction. I don't think anybody's mixed put tango in the mix uh -huh. so far. But you're absolutely right. It it automatically melds with with a different type of music. Now that's an interesting point because somebody like Kenny G, who we all who people who's gotten the worst Loves. rap right of everybody, <laughs> yeah. and but honestly, before he got famous, and he did three records with me. Actually, he came and played on my records for free. Huh. Uh, I did a couple of gigs with him, and he's a sweetheart. And yeah. so at the time that he did those records with me, his he hadn't quite made it yet. Yeah. And then he wrote Duotones. Uh -huh. And that was the most um, popular instrumental song uh, of all time, still is. But what he was doing, and if you deconstruct it, it was just sort of like Marvin Gaye on saxophone. And there's nothing mm. wrong with that. I mean, there's yeah. really just, he chose that as a voice. And when you fuse jazz with a popular idiom, yeah. you're going to get that popular idiom's audience. Right. If you fuse jazz with avant-garde, you're going to 
you're going to get the correlative audience, which is right. lack. They might be more particular. They might be more musicologists or more jazzes. Uh -huh. But the fact is, all he did was he dug R&B music and played it on the saxophone, and it resonated with it, this huge demographic. And to me, that's just innocent. There was so much controversy. And I think that those walls, that was also a time when there were just generally more walls, which have all come down quite a bit. Those are all sort of our own walls that we put up saying, this is good music, that's bad. These kind of... Um, empirical or, or um, sort of qualitative. Elitist, in a way, yeah. kind of way of approaching those things. Exactly, which has happened in music too. When musicology came along, that this is good classical music and that's not good classical music. There's even light, light classical. I know a right. few composers, you and I both know a few composers who write, I would consider light classical music yeah. and it has a correspondingly large audience because of that. So it's fusing, but in a way it's, it's, um, it makes a lot of sense. So. so we're saying the bad rap is is from a perceived commercialism in the music? Sure. Yeah, It's and also maybe a simplicity that isn't uh -huh. so sim simple. I mean, it's sort of like in my career, I've, 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 had, I've been blessed to be surrounded by such a wide range of musicians, and some of them were opera singers and classical guitarists. And opera singers, I think I had one friend who was absolutely convinced he could, play, could sing the blues. Uh -huh. Of course, if you're doing Verity and so forth, you, okay. you, you know, you <laughs> The blues seems simplistic, but it is incredibly nuanced. I mean, it, it's yeah. like it's this huge mountain to climb. And I said one day, I just said, "Yeah, okay, then sing some blues." <laughs> <laughs> and what came out of his mouth was honestly, it was vulgar. It was, it was really kind of, it was, <laughs> it was not pretty. And so I think there is a kind of a level of that kind of opinion that just hurts young people. I think it's probably mm. the more, as a matter of fact, all, after all these years, I would say that. A, a young person's prospects expand with the amount of music that they can actually sincerely love. Uh -huh. And uh, and you have to love a type of music to be good enough to be to make a living at it. You can't right. you can't fake it. Right. Like that whole studio thing. That was a time when you could fake it back in the seventies. And probably the, the reason why this department was founded was because of the huge studio scene here in Los Angeles. Uh -huh. But nowadays there are just so many great players out there that you have to really bloody love something and do it well. And if so. The more music that you love and play like you love it, then the more the chances are Yeah, yeah that, you, that you'll be successful at it. Yeah. Yeah. Today, we can fix so much stuff. I mean, how, how is a, an audience, are we supposed to sort of sense that authenticity? And it, I think that's what comes across when somebody really loves it. It's, right. we, we actually feel that no matter what's happened in the studio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hundreds of takes or hundreds of cuts and pastes and edits. and It's funny because, you know, there's two things that... I, I loved using the the Kenny analogy because Kenny was like a first take guy. He would just came in and play one first take after another in, in my on my sessions, huh. and he was a nice guy and he was articulate and and well educated. Uh -huh. And um, was his stuff pretty much was that his style before he got? Yeah, it was like you said the the evolution or the devolution of of uh -huh. fusion kind of there there was one arm of it that went off into smooth jazz where uh -huh. his records and you have to think duotones which was a song that was so it was record the uh, songbird which was the song that was so famous opened up this whole sort of whatever that is that sexy you know sort of really simplistic but if you listen to him he's really virtuosic and not that yeah. that matters to me. And if you see what he does with a with like say an audience of fifty to hundred thousand people, I think from a performing standpoint, you have to admire somebody who has that sort of entertainment or that that kind of panache, or you don't admire. I mean, it's it's funny because those same sorts of boxes that we tick, right? Let's think of the ones that we tick as educated musicians. 
virtuosic technique also because uh, of course because the, the guitar is the hardest instrument to play right <laughs> so there's that okay virtuosic technique clever composition and think of jim smith used to say to, to say to composers don't you feel intimidated by everything that's come before you you've got to i'm starting to sound like jim a little bit but don't you really think and, and i thought that was really true is like that is if you if you look at trying to out clever beethoven or out clever shostakovich or somebody like that then yeah. you're you're fighting a losing battle and then as i was playing more and more simpler groove oriented music i started thinking well i don't even tick those boxes anymore those those aren't priorities in this in this genre uh -huh. and it was a hard it was a hard thing to shed to allow for simplicity to exactly. allow to just I love playing this, and this is what I do, and this is. Where and great musicians, yeah. great musicians play like that. You look yeah. at where does BB King fit in our sort of array of boxes to tick that make it good music or bad music or good, uh -huh. and he wouldn't even register as a blip as far as our value system. So when uh -huh. you when you throw out those sort of imposed values on trained musicians, then all of a sudden you're free to look at some other things. And, yeah. and it, it, that opened me up an awful lot. And I was four records into my career before I really started getting that. To just step back and just allow whatever was going to come and not try to sort of show off or show, basically showy music, right? Precisely. I mean, just yeah. let the music drive the... Yeah. So if you have a simple three-note melody, then it's gorgeous, then that's what you go with. You don't try and add layer after layer after layer onto it. And Precisely. You're right. There, there are movements, like there's the after the romantic period came all these like wonderful, more impressionistic or simplistic sati and- Uh-huh, right, that pendulum. Exactly, that shift, so. But for me, you know, having said that, that there were 70, 60 smooth jazz stations in the country and you could have three or four songs being played at these stations. And for them, you were a star. So you could be flown in, you, you, get, you get flown in with your band and you do big concerts. And so that lasted for a long time. That's gone. Is it? And that's pretty much. I mean, there are there are there's still a lot of ways of monetizing, and that's one of the, doing the cruise ships and and actually touring. There are lots of festivals and things like that. But mm. back in the day, it was a pretty incredible run. As musicians, we spend so much time taking our art seriously, trying to achieve the highest levels of expressiveness, developing our technique to a very high standard. And if we compose, trying to compose music that is both original, interesting, and potentially accessible. Especially in school, we study musicians and composers of the highest caliber, and I think we often become overly critical of ourselves and of others. So I find it really nice to have Richard remind me that there's nothing wrong with simplicity, that there's nothing wrong with focusing on music that's simply fun to play. And if that music brings you a bigger and more avid audience, and some personal satisfaction, well, even better. Richard also reminds us that not all music is meant to be focused on. One of music's greatest powers is to soothe. So that easy listening music on the radio, or maybe my playing some simple pieces at a gig, might deliberately avoid demanding the listener's attention in order to make someone's commute or work day or, I don't know, elevator ride or even a meal that much nicer. It's the same idea with great film music. You're not supposed to be distracted by the music in the background. The best film score doesn't grab your attention. It just enhances the experience of the film. And in the end, all this music still takes a master to do well. So with that in mind, you can sit back, relax, and hear some smooth jazz. This tune is called Sing a Song from Richard Smith's album Solidified. And that's Soul, S-O-U-L, Solidified.
So, but you're still putting out albums, so there yeah. must be some reason to be doing that, or is it just because? No, you that, love it like like all of us. You just want to put out the next album because this is the next thing you're excited about. Well, but I, or is yeah. there still a market? Well, I have two projects that are going on. Actually, I have a couple projects, and there is still a market. And so it's finding that niche. Last year was my best year in the business. Really? Period. And huh. so I've, I've adapted along the ways. It's like this conversation, Scott, is like what came along and smacked me <laughs> that made me change. Huh. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've kind of throw out ideas of commercialism. It's just music huh. and, and where my guts go and go in that direction. Fortunately, I think a lot of what I've done, I've been able to monetize. Mm. The new Tango record is going to be, I think, going to be very uh, popular for uh, soundtracks and for licensing to libraries because it sounds really different. It has a couple of fun elements in it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like a bandoneon that's like really playing a, a beautiful melody that really just transports you to another environment. Uh -huh. And then when you add that with some interesting electronica and some inter interesting guitar playing, I think there's yeah. just so many textures that you can work with there. So the way I'll, I'll try to spread that out, aside from being on um, a couple of really good websites and, and download situations uh -huh. is um, is through film and TV and library music. But the other thing is is that we're, right now we're in rehearsals with a 45-piece orchestra mm -hmm. to do big band and orchestra and then Bananione and uh, laptops uh -huh. and narrators <laughs> to, uh, yeah, uh, to, like to do I some like of this stuff. I like that aspect, especially in that first tune yeah. with the narrator. Were, were those words taken for something specific? Pablo Neruda, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ode de Esperanza. Ode de Esperanza. And, um, and uh, it's a beautiful poem. I, as a matter of fact, I'll... Do you have a... Yeah, give us a translation. <laughs> sure. I, I also liked the combination of real instruments and samples and the, the drum machine thing, that kind of dance beat. Yeah. It was kind of nice. I was like, oh, this is... Oh, good. I'm glad you cool. liked that. Yeah, yeah. And then you have this kind of milonga thing going underneath in that first track. It's yeah. such a great layer to have underneath a... Like yeah. have a... Or on top of a funk beat. Yeah, yeah, because that three-three-two rhythm, right? It's exactly. just so great. And um, so everything on the album has some form of that. You can. All, there's also the. There's that's the other one too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those sorts <laughs> great. of things. I was in Argentina doing a tour with another guitar player, and that's uh -huh. when I discovered Pablo Neruda. It just, for the last two or three years, that and Nuvo Tango have just kind of been incredibly, you know, ins inspirational. Uh -huh. I'm trying to find this poem here. Let's see if I... Yeah. I um, I've got this... Have you got my CD with you? Oh, it's right here. Yeah, yeah. it's actually... Is there a poem the in there? poem's in here. So this is actually Ode to Hope. And um, this is an, an English translation. It sounds much better in Spanish. So the thing that's beautiful about Neruda, and, and now that I'm teaching songwriting, he is so economical in his lyricism and his the way he um, the, and his metaphor. Metaphor is amazing. Uh -huh. So it's really hard to. <laughs> to uh, Argentina was just like such an amazing place, and to discover that and the music of like Alejandro Sanz and stuff, it was just amazing. So uh -huh. I hope I can get through this. So Ode to Hope, oceanic dawn at the center of my life, waves like grapes, the sky solitude. You fill me and flood the complete sea. The undiminished sky, tempo, and space. Sea foam's white battalions, the orange earth. The sun's fiery waste in agony. So many gifts and talents. Birds soaring into their dreams. And the sea, the sea. Suspended aroma, chorus of rich, resonant salt. 
And meanwhile, we men touch the water, struggling and hoping. We touch the sea, hoping. And the waves tell the firm coast, everything will be fulfilled. That's just sort of beautiful words. A lot of them don't make sense. I mean, some of them are just, it's sort of like a Bob Dylan song. But if you get like a kid who's, you know, an American kid, and you've traveled a lot, so you understand that we, that we have a certain amount of filters here, and you, you introduce them to something as passionate as, as a, a really well-told poem, and they just go on, they just, they just light up. It's like, oh my God, I've never discovered poetry before. So one of the coolest things about teaching popular music or, or songwriting is the fact, is the power of the language that we don't really spend a whole lot of time with in songwriting. So just being able to, to introduce them to poetry is really a great thing. So you use um, Pro Tools or? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. So do I. It's so awesome. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, it's really, yeah. you really have to make a decision like, like when I take a solo, I'll, I'll go until I can get about 80, 85%. And then uh -huh. there's these like little little corners that, I, that, I, that I'm gonna go in and Pro Tools uh -huh. is just so, uh, good for that sort of thing, and I've yeah. always kept it to at least eighty-five percent of the solo I can keep. So that, yeah, that, you know, it's mostly my, one take. It's mostly one take. The, but there's the, always some gem. The main somewhere. gesture, yeah, exactly. Maybe he needs to move over the sixteenth note. <laughs> so I mean, and honestly, you know, I guess that would be uh, like a, an integrity issue. But I remember friends of mine, classical musicians, standing around with tape, like tape to their walls, like and splicing in and splicing. You know what I mean? So one we're all note. right. The one scale. note. Yeah. So I, I I dropped a bunch of notes on my um, on my CDs. You know, I, I'll leave a chipped note in if it's if it feels good, if the intention is right. Actually, I did all the loops on here. We we brought you in a drummer. One, I was going to ask you: Is this a one man band thing, or is this? It's a... like two man band. Tico <laughs> Pierhagen is a, a quintessential European uh, South American. He was uh, adopted by Dutch parents, uh -huh. and the story is amazing because the Dutch government allowed adopted kids to find their parents, and his parents were in Colombia, way up in the in the hills of Colombia. And um, he went there to meet his parents after living in, he's, he's Dutch, but he's, you know, he's a, he's, he's South American, Tico Pierhagen. He went there and he said, he, he wrote me a letter from up there. He said, I've been living in the wrong country my whole life. He said, these are my people. At the DNA level, huh. he had, he met his family and he said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go back to Holland. But he did. I mean, there's a certain point where you realize, well, no, I am Dutch. So he's caught between these two countries. And where I got to know him because he's in my band in Holland. He would come through America and stay at my place for two weeks. And that's when we started working on the tangos. Uh -huh. And so it was a sort of a triangular sort of uh, relationship where he would come. I would fly him into L.A. and we would, I would have written a bunch of tangos. And he would just say, well, the way a real tango goes is like this, Richard. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then so we would compromise. And I would have these yeah. loops. And he would play a tango on top of the, the funk loop or the, the grooving, uh -huh. grooving loop. And it was like really fun. I mean, I can't tell you. And then pianos, it, strings, is that all samples? He's also got a master's degree in, in um, orchestration. Oh, the yeah, there's some string orchestrations in there that were really cool. He does an amazing job, but also the there's a lot of string orchestrations that I just kind of stole. Or, I ripped oh, or did, um, oh, really? from samples, yeah. Ah. So the ones that are really affected and the ones that are really sound like string samples. But you know, there's ah. something about, if you take a pizzicato, which isn't thought of as being like a horn accent or anything special, it's actually yeah. more of a pianissimo. But if yeah. you put just the right reverb on that, and if you put the right compression on that, and you uh -huh. crank it up to, the, to really loud, it's an incredibly powerful um, accent. Percussive sound. Per percussive yeah. sound, right? <laughs> and so, and that's kind of tango too, because the way a tango 
musician will play the violin. It's very aggressive, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I love so it. So we, you know, I can't tell you how how much fun it is to be <laughs> cooking this stuff up and kind of working in, you know, with new forms. And uh, he is so he's so dedicated to classical music and tango. He's as far as the smooth jazz thing, or as far as the groove oriented music goes. I would call smooth jazz more groove oriented music. He didn't have a clue. So actually, we would fight a little bit because uh -huh. uh, he would be brainiacing it. He would be yeah. trying to go, well, no, it needs to do this, it needs to do this. And actually, one of the things about the type of music that I've played in the past is letting a groove, let the music interact on a very simple level. And that uh -huh. creates a fantastic feeling. And mm. so, for instance, it, I was in Amsterdam working, and I remember we would go, and I, I, I can say, Okay, that's it. That's great. We're done. Let's go have a drink <laughs> or let's go eat dinner or something like that. And yeah. he would go, no, we have to keep trying this and we have to try this and we have to try this. And I would say, no, it's good enough. Let's go downstairs. And I remember <laughs> two or three times shouting from downstairs going, Tico, stop, dude, it's over. Yeah. Don't wreck it. Yeah. And other times I'd, I would leave and I'd come back and man, he'd wrecked it. So <laughs> we'd have to go back and he'd, like, it wouldn't be wrecking. It would just be too much. Uh -huh. And so just learning how to extract is an important thing. So uh -huh. anyway, a fun thing. I can't tell you how exciting it is to invent stuff, to not have yeah. parameters. Yeah. And that's very interesting because there are a lot of musicians who are very uncomfortable with that uh -huh. and so forth. And I've always just loved to do that. And that's where the smooth jazz comes from or the fusion or whatever. It's just what I've enjoyed. Mm. And, and working with Francesco has been like that as well. He's uh -huh. very classical, very straight ahead jazz. And so getting having a relationship with him has been really fun because it's gotten my guitar chops a lot better. I mean, I've, I've had to practice for months to get ready for a tour with him because it's like a bullfight <laughs> yeah, in a good way, a good bullfight. Okay, before we hear about Richard's great collaboration with Italian virtuoso Francesco Buzzurro, let's hear the first tune off his recently released disc titled Tangos. The text you'll hear is from the Pablo Neruda poem Richard just read to us, and the track is titled Tango, Fire and Sea. Crepúsculo marino en medio de mi vida. Las olas como unas. La soledad en cielo. Me llenas desbordas todo el mar. Thank you. 
I love this idea that you're talking about with the songwriting thing. Can you give us a little example or maybe something people can do at home to practice? Practice songwriting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, there's there that's a that's a good good let's see. And what you is start that? I mean, start with a Pablo Neruda poem, right? I mean, Precisely. A I had a start. I had a student who ran into trouble. And what I've done, and there's a there's a fantastic book that I highly recommend everybody uh, read to get into songwriting, and it's called Steal Like an Artist. And it talks about the different phases of songwriting. And one is the input phase where you have ideas. Now, one thing that instrumental guys like us have to remember about writing a song. Now, there's a difference between composing an instrumental piece yeah. and writing a song. Yeah. Now, a song has to be driven by the lyrics. That's what to... I think, too. And it's so hard because I'm terrible with lyrics. Okay, great. <laughs> well, let me give you a hint. All right. So when you, in Steel Like an Artist, it's talking about this wonderful input phase where you just open, you're open to everything. You're open to, let's say, for me, it's Pablo Neruda. But you're not trying to write like Pablo Neruda. You're just, you just want, you're looking for input. You're looking for an idea to kind of go off of. So I've got here, I've got these wonderful sort of one, yeah, these little, little sentences. One or two liners. Exactly. So uh-huh. like you think of that as a melody. Think of that as a melodic idea. Uh-huh. And he's so wonderful with uh, metaphor. So let us forget with ger- generosity those who cannot love us. That's pretty good. Or you can cut all the flowers, but you cannot keep spring from coming. Okay, that sounds okay, like a Okay, so course. that's a good one, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. It's so much, so so formal organization comes into play. So what is a chorus? What's a verse? Well, verse is something that, that is set up to describe what the song's going to be about, yeah. but it creates anticipation. Yeah. Just like a good, any good verse. Right. So the listener listens to the, the verses, that's really nice, what's next? What's next? And you develop it. The second verse develops the idea even more, but the chorus is the name of the song. So right. you, you hit the nail and, on the head. right. Right, so the chorus yeah. has to be something that really is really is the denouement, is yeah. the is the confluence of the ideas. So right. that the formal organization is incredibly important in songwriting. So what I'm looking for is yeah, I'm just looking for things that might be a chorus. You just identified that as a chorus. I think uh-huh. you're absolutely right. You can cut all the flowers, but you cannot keep spring from coming. So that's a that's a song of struggle, perseverance, and determination, and. A fantastic theme. So, uh-huh. in, as far as your input phase goes, then if we're, now we're just talking about input phase. I'm I'm not trying to use my head at all. I'm not uh-huh. I'm not filtering the information. I'm just putting interesting information in. So, if it's de- perseverance and determination, well, you Google that, and there are <laughs> lots of people in history that know a lot about perseverance and determination. We'll talk about that. So that might get you another idea about perseverance and determination. It is kind of a universal theme. And right. you, I'll tell and you something. You tell your story exactly. right, about that. There, you just got onto a story, right? right? Students are fantastic with perseverance and determination because they're working harder than they've ever worked. They're getting up in the morning. They're away from home, missing right. home. Oh my gosh, that's a component of a song. So that might go into the second verse. I'm, it might be spring break when they're going to go see their girlfriend. <laughs> you can't right. keep for spring from coming or something <laughs> like that. And that's another great thing is the anticipation of something that's coming. Uh-huh. So we just found a really heady cocktail to dig into that uh-huh. we can so now you got we some... can pull some things. Yeah, and then what's the next step? In the input stage, we've already just done our job. We're looking for a theme for the song. Now we can uh-huh. go into the next more of the development stage, uh-huh. and we can do things like what are senses? What are the senses? How does how does perseverance and determination? How does it sound? And what is it that we would do that's persevering and determined? Well, you can use metaphor: riding a bike up a hill. Uh, sailing a ship in a storm uh-huh. and uh, use that sort of thing. How does it taste? Well, yeah, I'm working on a Christmas record right now and I was 
talking to Tico, who's from Amsterdam, where it snows uh-huh. a lot. I said, well, we're, we're workshopping this song. Said, what does snow taste like? I said, it doesn't taste like anything. He goes, no, Richard, it tastes like... And he described how snow tastes because he's around, he was just, he just, all the time. he just dug himself out of his own driveway full of snow. So that was a fantastic thing. So you go through your senses. How does something like perseverance and determination, how would it taste? Well, that's a little more difficult unless it's like the tasting, the sweat, the, work. the sweat yeah. off my face from riding the bike up the hill that da, 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 or climbing the mountain to, to yeah. get, get over my insecurities when, when I call you on the phone and I wanted to just have a normal conversation yeah. all that sort of stuff now that's like yeah. hack hack use but you can see yeah, how, how I much mean, you can see how it already kind of starting to build a story free yeah. association so yeah, yeah and, then, and then I guess if, if it's a song about um, about melancholy right yeah. or missing somebody or something like that you might want to have like a little template of melancholy missing people chords you know that's way too adult right so you might want to have that's the same chord trans- transposed. So let's see, just going back and referring to the lyric, I would say, you can cut all the flowers, but you cannot keep spring from coming. This is duration. So, you might have a little beat. Find a nice little loop. That just So that's how the thing gets, gets rolling. Isn't that fun? Yeah, I love it. So another thing, another thing that students work off a lot is, of course, missing their girlfriends and, and leaving home. Yeah. So it's wonderful. It's a well-trod path. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of great literature about that feeling of melancholy and that, and the rite of passage and um, risk taking. They're risk they're taking a risk by moving away from home. So risk taking is a is a huge element that you research a little bit and you find out well what's risky and what's a metaphor for risk and all those sorts of things. And then learning how to Again, what you did immediately, Scott. You're so musical. <laughs> that's the chorus. That's all. Oh, that's a, that's the title oh, of the song. Well, there yeah. you go. So there's, you know, in a way, a well-trained musician is it, being a songwriter. Who many of them are not well-trained musicians actually use those foundations very are very acutely aware of the foundations. For instance, David Foster, one of the great producers of all time, will take. Um, well, you know, duration is incredibly important in a pop song. So he'll take the hook, the chorus, yeah. and break it down to a musical, uh, without the lyrics, a musical introduction, and have it broken down. So it introduces the audience to maybe the best to musical element. Sound, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the melody that's maybe played on a, cl- a classical guitar or something yeah. like that. And then, and that might be big. And then they'll break it down to the verse and get your attention. Uh-huh. And then the first line comes out. It's the introductory line, which the verse does is it, brings the listener into the song uh-huh. and so and that moves on and then all of a sudden the chorus they <clears throat> the drums come in and the chorus comes back oh i remember that yeah, so that now your memory the words on top of it precisely and they're they're with you and they've got yeah. you and it's so funny i'm i had this with smooth jazz people are driving their car and anymore the attention spans have gotten so short now now you can say that this is compromised you can say it's musical compromise that beethoven would ever wouldn't ever worry about the attention span of his audience or something like that but it, you have about eight seconds. You uh, honestly have about eight seconds, and it's the same really? as selling your song. Yeah, absolutely. If it's what, not, do you mean to grab somebody yeah. to get them to listen? Get them to you listen got about to eight it, seconds to have it, change the station, sort of thing. Yeah, especially uh, now. There's so many stations, and especially or with they the hit digital that skip button. Or sure, uh, sure. Uh, okay, if you're driving, you want to drive. You you want to have that beat. You want to have that whatever's going on. I mean, you can just start with the beat. But honestly, eight seconds is. To, you need to have them hooked 
so that they're listening beyond that. Now, that uh -huh. might be for radio promoters who are saying, yeah, this is great. It might be for labels. If you're selling your song, you, you, you might want to really catch them in a, in a very in a quick amount of time. Uh-huh. You should be, you know, into the chorus by the first minute, by the end of the first minute. Right. Don't so, bore us, get to the chorus. Exactly. So that's traditional songwriting craft. That's, uh -huh. a, that's a craft. But my goodness, you know, it's so nice to work within certain parameters. And it's, you know, Beethoven broke all the rules right away. And so, and there are people that are breaking rules now, left and right. And would, yeah, and which was interesting about the Grammys, because it was, there are some really great adventurous things going on in popular music now. Mm. So it's, it's fun. All right, so tell me a little bit about networking, and then let's talk about this other, this other album. Okay. You were saying that the, you find that's a very important thing to instill in your students. Exactly. We've had so many really interesting guest artists come in who are in the popular ethos and the popular, popular business, popular music business. Uh, Smokey Robinson, David Foster. So you've been to a lot of these workshops where there's so much information, you're going to hold on to one or two bits of information. Yeah. So... Right, so I've been making a habit of doing that, and and when I do that, it kind of underscores it, scores how important it is. And one of the things that David Foster said, he stumped 200 students. He said, "What is the most important thing in a music career?" 200 students in Carson, and one was saying, I think I mentioned this. One said, "It's love," and he said, "No, it's not love. I've been married four times. It's definitely not love." <laughs> and and it was that sort of a conversation where they kept. <laughs> Boom! Another kid would say, oh, chops! No, it's not chops. This, that. And he finally said, he stumped the whole room and he said, it's networking. And that was this huge aha that I had. I wouldn't be here at, at USC if I hadn't returned Duke Miller's call a million years ago and got talking to him. We didn't talk about guitar. We hardly talked about guitar at all. We talked about students. We talked about uh, people and music and things like that. But we didn't, I wasn't trying to sell anything. But that was like sort of networking in that he, I was allowing him to see that I was a human being, and uh, if I, it, the, the, I look at the students who've graduated and the ones who've done well, like yourself, have this fantastic ability to draw people in, to be a, a good person, and to cultivate relationship in a in a very positive way. I'm in Europe about three months a year now, and absolutely every country is not just a country with a flag; it's a country with a name and a person, yeah. right? Who we have a copacetic simpatico relationship with it's give and gather so in italy it's francesco buzzuro in in london it's pete Wittard. it's uh in amsterdam it's tico and um tico pierhagen in norway it's ralph christensen and all of these things add up to collaborations so networking to me is becoming a very important component of talking with students about how to get to the next level it's like mm -hmm. i said that simple thing that i did was First of all, you have to check your enthusiasm. What are you excited about, so excited about that you're willing to starve for it for a while? Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's job one. And then beyond that is who seems to pull that together for you and what do you have to offer them? When I'd go to watch those bands, I offered my enthusiasm and my support. <laughs> that wasn't a whole lot. Right. That's all I had as a 23 year old kid. To those guys, it's valuable. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, telling them how much I love their music and and working on their music and showing that I knew how to play all the guitar licks and things like that. I didn't think of it as savvy networking. I thought of it as managing my enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so later on in life, when the smooth jazz world started to get more competitive, like 
it went from being my competition for certain gigs was uh, a certain level of smooth jazz guys. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, Jennifer Lopez and the pop, it became much closer to R&B and the rhythm and blues uh, audiences and so forth. Um, I've realized I needed to cultivate a scene overseas. Sometimes it was as arbitrary as I'm half Sicilian, who's the best guitar player in Sicily. And I tried to hang out. I went, huh? yeah, I wrote. If we, I met a lot of people on the internet. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it's amazing, though, because if you're from Los Angeles and you say, you're welcome to come anytime you want, I can hook you up with whomever. I can do a master class at USC. Uh -huh. You have to look at your assets. My assets right. increased dramatically in 30 years of living in Los Angeles. Yeah. So, but is it isn't, uh, well, it's quid pro quo, but it's sincere. Please yeah. come. You can sleep in my guest guest room yeah. and I'll, I'll set up a bunch of gigs for you. Whoa, right. really? Well, all of a sudden you're gigging all over Sicily and, um, and, and you got a new friend in the process most great, of the time. Right? Great friend. Yeah. And, you know, guys, guys forget that it's important to have guy friends, you yeah. know what I mean? Colleagues uh, that are serious about them because that's an incredible source of, of inspiration. Yeah. Francesco is the guitar man. To me, he is a fantastic guitarist, and there's not a whole lot of people that I actually really will get my guitar out of the case three or four months out in advance of our tour to, to, to get ready. Be yeah, because it's just, uh, you know, the idea of not playing my very best, you know, got, it, it's just, there's, so that's really Which great for me. a great thing too, right? He's After 30. You up to yeah. a new level. We all have to look for things that help us to do what we do best. And so... Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so tell me about this, this collaboration. Yeah, so... Buzzurro? We, we ended up... How do you say his last he, uh, he teaches at the Palermo Conservatory, and he's, you know, he's, he's quite a remarkable guitar player. So we got, we got to know each other quite well. He picked me up at the uh, airport and with his brother, and they said, well, okay, we go eat. <laughs> right, typical sort of Sicilian thing, and we uh -huh. ate all afternoon, and, and, we, <laughs> and then we drove to the gig, and we had never played together before. And so we played a bunch of jazz tunes, and it just got to be... That started about eight or nine years ago, and I've spent every August, that's a big touring season there, his, and his career has taken off really well. And so his manager he books all the hill towns in, in Sicily. So we go and do these concerts all over, all over the place there, and mm. uh, the whole village comes out, and we'll do, last summer we did 14 dates straight, and then I got pneumonia. Oh. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But it was amazing, and the tempos are great, and the other thing that's great is like, for instance, is it okay if I play a little bit? Of course. Learning different techniques on acoustic guitar. Which one was that? I this remember is, that uh, one. This is Spain. That's Spain. And he always plays it at a fast clip, or we play it at a fast clip. On the yeah. record, it's quite quick. Yeah. But... I developed a couple of hybrid, <laughs> I call flamaco techniques, because it's not, I think Adam would, Adam's told me before that he, that I'm doing it all wrong, but, <laughs> but for instance, for a fast rumba, a traditional yeah. rumba, where he's playing, it doesn't sound right, it does, it just sounds stiff, uh -huh. and especially it, 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 with more of a jazz sensibility, uh -huh. so I sort of took a hybrid of a, of a traditional rumba, and um, let's see, right hand, it's sort of like keying a door, it's very efficient, it's like pick technique, actually, yeah. you just get rid of the pick. Uh huh. And let's see. 
it has a gope, but you don't gope on the on the fretboard. You gope on the strings. Uh-huh. And it's down, up, up, down, up, gope, up, down, yeah, and up, the with up, the palm. up. And then there's other things you can do in process. So you can do sort of a a bad rasciato. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So let's see. But the most important thing, it's like a motor. Get yeah. the motor running, right? Yeah. And he likes things very stable. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember that section in the tune. It's great. Yeah. So we do a lot of that sort of stuff. And I would have never uh-huh. developed any kind of techniques like that if mm. I didn't have the chance to play with him. So. Uh-huh. Oh, and tell me a little bit. I love that one That one kind of funny, weird one. The Latavo Nano. Latavo Nano, yeah. Which kind is, of sounded uh, like Eastern European or klezmer music or something. It was so kind of fun and yeah, you know, it, it's a, it's a crazy polka, polka or something. It's a polka, yeah. And um, that was another really tough one to learn. Let's see. That one sounds so fun. Let's see. No, I do it with... But actually, the, the soloing is tough because you're going yeah. from F minor to, to, to E minor, which is a strange modulation. Yeah. And then there's a, a couple of sequence. Uh huh. So there's a lot of a lot of harmonic calories. <laughs> there it is again, right? Harmonic calories. <laughs> but what's really great about about Sicily and Francesco and that whole experience is. Sicily is the most invaded country in the world. You know, uh-huh. the Carthaginians invaded it. The, the, uh, the Greeks, it was the first Greek settlement in Europe 3,000 years ago, Syracuse. Um, the temples in Agrigento, where Francesco is from, are, are the best examples of Greek, of early Greek temples. Mm. And there's so, you know, the Carthaginians and the, the Romans and the, the Moors, a lot of African influence there. The Moors ruled the island for several hundred years. Mm. The Hebrews. It was just an incredible history, and you taste it in the food, and you hear it in the music. And so Francesco's sensibilities are wonderful because the, there's there's North African influences, these wonderful scales that are sort of flat nines and sharp sevens, and yeah. really interesting things that I've actually that I've stolen on and put in a bunch of my other music. So yeah, wonderful relationship. So networking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that, that tune's definitely got all that, that mixture of all those cultures. It's pretty cool. Exactly. And, we, yeah. and when we come to the States, we do um, we usually do auditoriums at schools, and we do master classes. And also... Oh, yeah, so contact info. For me? Yeah. <laughs> rsmith at USC. Uh-huh. Is that the one to do? Or, or there's your website? a Facebook page, yeah. What if they want to buy the album? It'll be um, available on my website. Uh-huh, which is... richardsmithguitar.com. All right, so that concludes our conversation with Richard Smith. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm going to end with two tunes from Richard's collaborative album, One World, Two Guitars, with Francesco Buzzurro. But before I go, I just want to say thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories, and by Audible.com. To get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audibletrial.com slash allstrings. There are over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hey, don't forget All Strings will be back from summer break in July. 
with some great new episodes. In the meantime, go check out the Facebook page, the website, scottwolfguitar.com slash podcast, or follow on Twitter at All Strings. Maybe I'll be seeing some of you at GFA this year. Come say hi and grab a sticker if you see me. I'm the guy in the All Strings Considered t-shirt. Until next time, here's Paisaje, which has lots of great improvisation from the two players, and a folky tune called Lo Tavo Nono. Enjoy! Mm-hmm.